In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in him. Uh, tonight we'll study uh, chapter 5 from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. This letter was written to the people in Thessaloniki who suffered persecution because of their faith in Christ. And some of them were killed because of the persecution. That's why the rest of the people were troubled about those who were martyred. What, what is their condition and what is their situation? That's why in chapter 4, St. Paul comforted them regarding those who departed or were martyred uh, because of the persecution. And he told them that they will be raised again and they will come with the Lord on the cloud uh, when the Lord comes in his second coming. So actually, St. Paul concluded chapter 4 by speaking about the second coming of the Lord, or what we call it, the parousia of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. That's why chapter 5, he started by speaking about uh, what is the time of his coming. Should we ask this question when he will return again? Is it for us to know or we shouldn't ask this question? And after this, he spoke about how to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And he spoke about how to walk in light, walk in obedience, and then he concluded this chapter by his concluding remarks, because this is the last chapter of this epistle. So let's start reading from verse 1, and let us try to understand together the message of the Lord in this chapter. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. St. Paul is telling them, you have no need that I should write to you concerning the times and seasons, the time of the return of the Lord. Why? Why? Because it is not our, it's not for us to know the time and the season of the return of the Lord. Actually, if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked the Lord Jesus Christ a very direct question. They asked him about when he will come and when he will restore the kingdom to Israel. And the Lord replied by saying in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. So the times and the seasons are in the authority of the Father. It's not for us to know. I understand that many people in our time right now try to do many calculations and try to say, yes, we are in the end of the days. The Lord Jesus Christ will return uh, on that year or in that, uh, this uh, day. But actually, uh, all this calculation is against the teaching of the scripture. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said very, very clearly, it is not for you to know the times and the season. If God wants to reveal when he will come, he should announce it. We don't have to make all this calculation. That's why St. Paul, following the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, he told them, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And he, he explained in verse 2 that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. When we don't expect it, the day of the Lord will come. 
So actually, if it is for us to know, definitely the day of the Lord will not be a surprise for us. In verse 2 he said, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord uh, so comes as a thief in the night. You know perfectly, as I told you before, that the day of the Lord will come as thief in the night. So when he said the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, will be like a, a, a thief in the night, St. Paul meant that it will come when we don't expect it. Because we do not know when he will come. And actually, after the Lord concluded the parable of the five wise version and the five foolish version, he said, be watchful therefore, because you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that we should not know, we shouldn't know when his return will be. That's why we should be ready all the time. If we don't know when the Lord will come again, we should be ready all the time. So although St. Paul, when he said the day of the Lord is like a thief, he was emphasizing here the fact that we shouldn't know the day of his coming. But again, he means something else. He said, if you are ready, the day will not be like a thief. Because you are ready. You are ready all the time. But if you are not ready, then when you are not expecting the coming of the Lord, you will find the Lord knocking at your door, and then you will be surprised by his coming. As we read in verse 4 in the same chapter, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So St. Paul is saying that this day will overtake you as a thief if you are not ready, if you are walking in darkness. That's why, if we don't know when he will come back, we have to walk in the light. And walk in the light means to be ready to his coming, to be watchful to his coming. As the Lord Jesus Christ said himself, be watchful therefore, because you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, he said in verse 2, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Here St. Paul is speaking about whom specifically? about the sinners, the evildoers, in verse 3, because he said destruction will come upon them. And actually, in the gospel that we just heard right now, uh, uh, in the whisper, from the gospel of, uh, of St. Luke, the Lord said, as in the days of Noah, it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. During the time of, the, of Noah, they were eating, drinking, uh, marrying, giving in marriage. So they were saying safe and, uh, safety and peace, peace and safety. But the flood came and drowned everybody. In the same way in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were buying, selling, they were building, they were sowing, they were eating and drinking. And then uh, all of a sudden, Fire came from heaven and burned the city. That's why we need to be watchful. We need to be ready. This, this day will overtake us as happened in the day of Lot and as happened in the day of Noah. That's why St. Paul is saying, when they say the evildoers, they will comfort themselves by saying, no, no, it's not now. Let us just enjoy the pleasures of the world. It is peace and safety but sudden destruction comes upon them. Uh, we remember the parable of the foolish rich man who said, I will build bigger storehouses, and I say to myself, you have many, many 
blessing for years to come. Enjoy all these uh, blessings. And a voice came to him from heaven. Foolish one, tonight your soul will be taken. So what you have prepared, who will take it? We need to be watchful and we need to be ready. And Saint Paul give another analogy here. He said, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, the pregnant woman knows for sure that the labor pain will come to her. But she doesn't know when exactly. So all of us, we know for sure that we will depart from this world sooner or later. And we know for sure that this world will end and the Lord will come again to take us with him to the kingdom of heaven. Although we know for sure that our life is not eternal, uh, here on earth is not uh, eternal, and we will die one day or another, but many of us, because we are not ready, we will be surprised exactly like the labor pains surprise the uh, pregnant woman. And nobody will escape, as he said, uh, and you shall not, uh, and they shall not escape. Who will escape the surprise of this day? <laughs> Only those who are ready. So when we are ready, we will escape the surprise of this day. That's why, after he spoke about, we shouldn't know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming and we should be ready and watchful, starting from verse 4, start to teach us how to be ready and how to be watchful for the second coming of the Lord. From verse 4, he spoke about walking in uh, life, walking in life, by saying, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So if you walk in the light, if you walk in the light, then this day will not surprise you. You will be ready for the coming of the Lord. Light usually during the day. So what does it mean to walk in the light, not to be in darkness? Actually, walking in light means two things. Or in this context, as St. Paul explained here, two things. People work during the light, and they rest or sleep during night. So, his, uh, walk in light means you are active in your spiritual life. You are not lazy, you are not sleeping, but you are growing and you are uh, kindling the spirit in your heart. That's number one. And number two, as St. Paul said, usually people who get drunk or uh, commit any kind of sin, they try to commit it in darkness so that nobody will see them. Those who steal come in darkness and steal. So nobody uh, will see them. So walking in light means also walking in righteousness. Walking in righteousness, not in sin. So to walk in light means two things. Number one, you are not lazy, you are not asleep, but you are active in your spiritual life. And number two, you live life of righteousness. You don't live life of sin. That's why in verse 5 he said, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. Sons of light means sons of righteousness. Sons of the day means you are laboring and working and resisting uh, and, and, and fighting in your spiritual warfare. You are not lazy. You are not asleep in your spiritual life. That's why he said sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Again, he emphasizes that we are not of mind, nor of darkness. Not of mind means we are not lazy. Not of darkness 
means we are not even doers. Therefore, in verse 6, he elaborates more. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Now he is making clear what he meant by sons of night. Sons of night means those who sleep, those who are lazy. But we, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let's watch and be sober. Watch and be sober like a guard watching uh, a town or watching city or watching house. So we should guard our heart lest Satan come and plant any uh, destructive uh, seeds in our hearts. Let's watch lest Satan plant any evil thoughts in our heart. Let's be watchful lest Satan comes and steal our purity and our righteousness from our uh, heart. That's why the true believer is living all the time the life of watchfulness. He is guarding his senses, he is guarding his mind, he is guarding his heart, he is guarding his body, he is guarding his spirit, he is watchful and, uh, and protecting himself from the attacks of Satan. Let us, uh, uh, but let us watch and be sober. Sober is verses of drunk. The drunk person is out of control, he does not control himself. Uh, and that's why he makes uh, irrational decisions. But the sober person who controls himself. That's why uh, the children of light, they actually know what they are doing. And they are aware of their choices. And they are aware of their decisions. To be righteous or not to be righteous, it depends on the choices that you are making every day. For example, you have a choice to lie or to say the truth. You have a choice to be honest and faithful or to be dishonest. You have a choice to accept this lustful thought or to reject it. If you are sober all the time, you will make good choices. Like our mother Eve, she made a choice to disobey God. And that's why she fell from her uh, innocence and her righteousness. In the same way, when you are sober and you are making uh, good decisions, then you will be ready for the coming of the Lord. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Again, he, he, repeating the same theme. Night means laziness. For example, if, if you are lazy to pray, if you are lazy to open your Bible and study and read the Word of God, if you are lazy to come to the church to worship the Lord, if you are lazy to go and help some uh, poor person or, or uh, a needy person, if you are lazy to do good work or to rescue a person from uh, sin, then actually you are sleeping in mind, like those who sleep in mind. But the person who is active, who is the son of the day, actually he is not lazy. He prays, he fasts, he comes to the church, he studies the scripture, he helps others, he serves, he uses his talents, he uses his gifts, he makes profit for the glory of God with his talents and gifts. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. Again, night is the time of people who uh, want to commit sin or to hide their sins. But we are sons of light, not sons of night. Verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober. Who are of the days be sober. Be watchful. How to be sober? St. Paul said, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here St. Paul actually is speaking about the three virtues, the three main virtues, hope, uh, faith, and love. 
and he is saying here that, as I told you, if you want to be watchful, you will be like the guard. And the guard should have weapon with him, should be armed. So, how do you arm yourself? What are the weapons that you need to carry in order to guard your heart, to guard your mind, to guard your senses? St. Paul spoke here about two weapons, two weapons. The first weapon is the breastplate. And the breastplate is this weapon, a weapon that protects the heart, protects the heart. And the second weapon is the helmet. And the helmet actually protects the mind and protects uh, the thoughts. So you need to be armed with the weapons so that you will not be surprised when the day of the Lord comes to you. Uh, and what makes people sin? Either their ignorance or uh, uh, to go astray from God. As we say in the Gregorian liturgy, as a true light, you shone upon the ignorant and the lost. Spiritual darkness or spiritual blindness means what? Means either you don't know the word of God, and the word of God is the light. So if you are ignorant of the word of God, you cannot live in righteousness because of ignorance. I don't know the word of God. I don't know the light. As David's prophet said, your words are lamp to my feet. Or the person knows the word of God, but he chooses to go astray from the commandment of God. So these are the two types of darkness. Either the ignorance of the word of God, or uh, either the person chooses to go astray. Ignorance is the, uh, if the person does not protect his mind and does not actually feed his mind with the word of God, he will be ignorant. And uh, to go astray when the person go after the lusts of his heart. That's why we need to guard our mind, our thoughts, and we need to guard our heart. Because the thought and the mind are the two vital organs in, in your uh, body that uh, give you life. To protect your mind, you need to ponder all the time on the salvation that the Lord fulfilled for you, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation will keep you motivated, actually, to fight the spiritual warfare. That's why St. Paul said, put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. What makes a student study very hard is the hope of success. What makes the uh, worker work so hard is the hope of making a lot of profit. What makes the farmer works and labor very hard is the hope of the harvest. In the same way, when the hope of salvation fills our mind and our thoughts, when we put our, set our minds on the hope of salvation, this will help us to be motivated and to work hard, to be children of the day, not children of the mind. What about your heart? Your heart, you need to protect it by the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love, which is faith working through love. Faith working through love. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, when St. Paul spoke about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, when he spoke about the breastplate, he said the breastplate of righteousness. But here he said breastplate of faith and love. Is there contradiction between what he mentioned in Ephesians 6, that the breastplate is breastplate of righteousness, and what he mentioned here is that the breastplate is of faith and love, actually no. Because how can we achieve righteousness? 
actually we achieve right righteousness through faith working in love. Faith working in love. Faith is the motive from within, and love is the outward act actions. And when we have the true faith from within, and our works from outside are for the glory of God, that's actually righteousness. Righteousness is to have, uh, righteousness means to do what's right, but do what's right for the right purpose, for the right motive. Because many people do what's right just uh, as hypocrite, to get uh, glory from men. But to be righteous means to do what's right based on the right motive. The right motive is the faith. That is the motive from within. And from outside to do what's right, that is uh, uh, love. Because love, uh, as uh, St. John said, is not by words or by tongue, but by action and deeds. So, how to guard yourself? How to be an armed guardian to protect your heart and your mind? By having faith and love in your heart, that's the best place that protects your heart from error and sin, and the hope of salvation, this will protect your mind from um, ignorance and uh, going astray from that. Then, this line he said, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very important verse. After St. Paul spoke about the hope of salvation, he is saying, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. God did not prepare the lake of fire for us. Hell is not prepared for us, it's prepared for Satan and his soldiers. But God prepared for us the kingdom of heaven. If you read in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Matthew 25, verse 34. The Lord says here, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come! You blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom is prepared for us. What about the lake of fire? In the same chapter, verse 41, God will say to the evildoers, to the wicked, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's very clear from verse 41 that the everlasting fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. But God prepared the kingdom for us. But unfortunately, some people, because they chose to follow Satan, that's why they will go with them into the everlasting fire. Although God did not prepare the everlasting fire for the human being. Here, what St. Paul again is emphasizing the same meaning. He said, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's why you need to work out for salvation. God did not create you to be thrown into the everlasting fire. God created you in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the only way uh, for salvation. There is no other way and there is no other name you will be saved by except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in him, when you submit your life to him, when you follow his steps, then you will obtain the eternal salvation. And that's why St. Paul explained why it is only the Lord Jesus Christ who will obtain salvation through him, as he said in verse 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, or should live together with him. Uh, we should live together with him. He died for us for what? In order to pay the punishment of sin. 
He died on our behalf in order to save us. He died to redeem us. That's why we are appointed for salvation. We are not appointed for rest. God already, the Lord Jesus Christ, took our sins in his body. And actually he became sin and became curse in order to redeem us. Already the wrath fell upon him on the cross in order to deliver us from this wrath. So we are not appointed for that wrath, but we are appointed for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, wake or sleep means it's the second coming of the Lord. Whether we are alive or we dead. Because, for example, if the Lord comes right now, many people are dead and we are alive. So St. Paul is saying, whether we wake or sleep, we are alive or we are those who are dead, we should live together with him. And St. Paul wanted here to comfort the Thessalonians regarding those who were killed because of the persecution, that those who die or those who will remain alive until the second coming of the Lord, uh, all of us we will be caught up to meet the Lord on the cloud and we will live together with him. Therefore, verse 11, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. When we reflect and think all the time on the second coming of the Lord, this gives comfort and peace to our heart. Not only comfort, but help us to grow and be edified. That's why we have responsibility toward one another, as St. Paul said, just as you also are doing. We need to remind one another with the second coming of the Lord. We need to remind one another that we should walk in life, because we are sons of the day, sons of light. We are not sons of night, nor sons of darkness. We have this responsibility to remind one another that we need to walk all the time in the light. Uh, and when we remind one another with this, actually, we will be comforted and also we will be motivated to grow more and more uh, in our spiritual life. That's why he said, comfort one another and edify one another uh, by these words. Then from verse 12, he spoke about uh, walking in obedience, obedience to God. After he, he said, prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord by walking in life, from verse 12, he spoke about how to walk in obedience. Verse 12, he said, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. St. Paul here is speaking about the spiritual fathers when he said, those who labor among you and or over you in, in, in the Lord and admonish you. And actually some scholars uh, in the Bible, he said these are the three ranks of the priesthood. When he said uh, to recognize those who labor among you, St. Paul was referring to the deacons. Because the deacons, they serve. Uh, the word deacon means uh, to serve. So, uh, and diakonia means uh, service. So those who labor among you, those who are serving among you, that's the deacon. Those who are over you, he's referring to the bishop. Because the bishop in Greek, episcopos. Epi means over or from above. Scope uh, from, uh, means to see, like telescope, microscope. So episcopos means overseer, overseer. So those who are over you, that's the rank of Episcopus, the bishop, and admonish you, this is the priests, because that is the function of the priest, to admonish and, and uh, discipline and to uh, instruct the people in the law. So uh, some Bible scholars said 
Paul said to the divines, those who labor among you are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's speaking here about the three uh, ranks of priesthood, deacons, bishops, and priests. Uh, and here St. Paul is saying, you need to uh, recognize them. But before I speak about uh, what St. Paul meant by recognition, uh, let me speak here about the responsibility of the uh, clergy, uh, as St. Paul said. St. Paul said there are three responsibilities here. Number one, to labor. To labor means to work hard in order to satisfy the needs of the flock. And here I recall the words of his own Shenouda when he ordains priest or ordained bishop. Usually he said to them, if you labor and work hard, the people actually will have rest. But actually, if we rested and became lazy, the people will suffer. That's why St. Paul here again is saying, labor among you. So that's the first responsibility of the clergy, to work hard in order to comfort the people, in order to make them uh, at rest with the Lord Jesus Christ, and to help them to be edified and grow in the Lord. Over you means God gives them authority. But this authority is not to rule over the people, but this authority actually to protect the flock. So the authority here is for protection. Uh, authority usually in Christianity, uh, God, when he gives authority to somebody, this authority is to serve and to protect and to guard, not to rule over. And, and the Lord actually differentiated between authority uh, with the Gentiles and meant here with the non-believers when he said the rulers of uh, this world exercise authority over them. But among you, if you want to be first and if you want to be great, be the last and be the servant. That's how the Lord defined authority. In the same thing, in marriage, if God gave authority to the husband, this authority is not to control or not to rule over, but actually to protect and to guard his wife and his children and the family. So that's the second responsibility. God gives him authority to protect and to guard. Number three, to admonish. Admonish include uh, instructing and also disciplining. In, in Psalm 23, David says, your rod and your staff. The, the rod for discipline and the staff for uh, shepherding. So admonishing here means to instruct, to shepherd, but also to discipline. And there is no contradiction between protecting the flock and disciplining. As the, uh, St. Paul said in, in the letter to Hebrews, uh, our uh, Biological fathers, they discipline us. And if we reject the discipline, then we are not children. Because uh, if the father loves his son, he disciplines him. So part of protecting the flock is to discipline them if they drifted away, to bring them back to the sheep fold. So St. Paul spoke here about three responsibilities. The, the clergy should work hard and labor hard. Number two, they should protect and guard the flock. Number three, they should instruct, admonish, and discipline the flock. What is the responsibility of the flock toward their clergy? St. Paul said uh, three points. Number one, to recognize them. We, uh, verse 12, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. To recognize means here to recognize their office, to recognize their calling, to recognize that God appointed them and gave them this authority and treats them accordingly with reverence. As the Lord said, he who will honor you honors me, and he who rejects you rejects me. And also to liberally uh, supply for their needs because they, they left everything 
to serve the Lord. That's why it's our responsibility to recognize their needs and supply their needs. That's number one. Number two, verse 13, to esteem them very highly. To esteem them very highly. Why? He said, for their works sake. For their works sake. For whom they represent. They represent God. As St. Paul said, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are the stewards of God. That's why when we esteem our spiritual fathers highly, it's not because of who they are, but because of whom they represent, because of their calling. That's why when we honor uh, our fathers, the priests, we honor Christ in them. As the Lord said, he who honors you will honor me, and he who rejects you rejects me. And here St. Paul is emphasizing, esteem them very highly for their works. And number three, in love. In love. Do this uh, out of love, uh, not out of hypocrisy or uh, out of uh, just flattering them. No, that, that's not right. But you need to have this sincere and genuine love because, again, our love to our spiritual father is love for Christ who appointed them in this uh, position. So the responsibility of the flock toward the shepherd to recognize them, to esteem them very highly for their work's sake, and to do this in love. Then St. Paul said, be at peace among yourself. Be at peace among yourself. Means what? Don't only keep the peace between you and the, uh, the clergy, but also among the flock, among one another. You have to be in love and to be in peace with one another. That's why it is uh, part of every divine liturgy. The deacon says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Because all of us who are members in the same body, the body of Christ. And we have to live in peace with one another. If we don't live in peace with one another, and if we have conflict, and if we have uh, disagreement, and if we have uh, fighting and division, as the Lord said, the house that's divided against itself will be dissolved. But this is not the Church of God. But the Church of God, everybody lives in peace together. Verse 14. St. Paul spoke here about uh, three types of people uh, who are walking actually in disobedience. And he told us what should we do with them. He spoke about the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. Unruly, faint-hearted, the weak. Now we exhort you, brethren, Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted and uphold the weak. Who are the unruly that St. Paul instructs us to warn them? Unruly means those who do not follow the rules. Those who do not follow the rules. Because God is God of order. God is not God of caves. God wants everything to, to go in, in a certain order. <coughs> Many people actually like to challenge the rules, especially the rules of the church. If you live in a country, we respect the rule of the country. When you work for a company, you respect the rule of this company. You respect the law of the traffic. But when it comes to the church, usually people like to challenge and to uh, follow their own rules or to impose their rules on the church. That's why St. Paul said, this is not acceptable in the church of God. And you need to warn the unruly because they are walking in disobedience, in disobedience. But the unruly here, has another meaning. Some people thought that the coming of the Lord is very, very quick and will be very soon. 
That's why they quit their jobs and they started to say, now we will focus on the coming of the Lord. And because they quit their jobs, they didn't have any uh, money to provide for their own needs. And they started to ask others to provide for their needs. St. Paul considered this behavior as unruly. You are not walking according to the rule. Which rule? The rule that he who does not work should not eat. As St. Paul made it very clear in the second letter of Thessalonians. If you are not working, then you don't deserve to eat. That's why when some people come to the church to ask for help, if the church actually helped them to find work, and they refused to work, and they insist to get help from the church, the church should not help those people. Because if the church is helping those who, are, don't, who do not want to work, and if the church is encouraging wrong behavior, but the responsibility of the church here is to warn them towards the unruly. And as Sir Paul said in the second letter of Thessalonians, those who do not want to work, they should not hear. The second group is the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted. Faint-hearted are those who did not set their mind on the hope of salvation. They did not put on the helmet of hope of salvation. That's why, because of the persecution, they became very fearful and, and scared as they are about to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Here St. Paul said, comfort them. Comfort them. Give them the hope of salvation. Let them know that Christ promised us he will never leave us or forsake us. He will strengthen us. He will stand next to us. Comfort them with the hope of salvation. And the third group is the weak. The weak, those who want to do, but they don't have the strength to do it. So they have the will, but they don't do it. Usually, they need support. For example, somebody say, yes, I want to go to church. I want to uh, start praying. I want to start studying the scripture. He has good will, but he doesn't do it. Usually, this person needs support. That's why support said, uphold the weak. Uphold the weak. If you need somebody who has a good will, but lacking the strength, we have a responsibility to uphold him, support him, so that uh, he doesn't only have the will, but also start working and doing and acting on the will. So, warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Then he said, be patient with all. Be patient with all. Here when he spoke about patience and long-suffering, he said, with all. Because everybody needs patience. Everybody deserves another chance. Everybody should, uh, uh, should be long-suffering with everybody. If God is not patient with us, actually, all of us wouldn't exist right now. But it is because of his patience. After we rebel against him, he saved us. And until now, after we rebel several times against him, when we return to him, God accepts all of us. That's why if God is so patient with us, we need to be patient with one another. And I imagine, actually, if the husband is patient with his wife, if the wife is patient with her husband, if parents are patient with their children, children are patient with their parents, if uh, boss is patient with his employee and the opposite, actually be living in, in, in heaven. When we are patient and when we lose our temper quickly and when we get angry at one another, that's why we have conflict and we have divisions. But if we learn to be patient with one another, and to wait for one another, actually, we will be living in peace. Uh, verse 15, after he spoke about patience, he gave us a life application. 
life application of being patient. He said, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. No one renders evil for evil. So if somebody insulted you, don't render evil for evil. Bless him. That is how to be patient with the other. Uh, and I'm sure you know the story of Al-Alim Ibrahim al-Bukhari and his brother, Al-Alim Gerigs al-Bukhari, and some non-believer used to curse Al-Alim uh, Gerigs. And Al-Alim Gerigs went and uh, complained to his brother, Al-Alim Ibrahim al-Bukhari. And Al-Alim Ibrahim al-Bukhari was like a prime minister. So Al-Alim Ibrahim said to Gerigs, don't worry, I will stop him completely from insulting him. And he did, didn't know how. And next day, Ma'alim uh, Ibrahim sent many, many gifts to this person who used to insult his brother. And he told him, this gift is from Ma'alim gifts. And when the person received his, uh, this gift, actually, he was very, very embarrassed how he insulted this person for a long time and now this person actually sending him such generous gift. So the following day, instead of insulting him, was praising him and thanking him. And Imam Ibrahim said to Imam Gergis, actually, this is what St. Paul taught us in Romans 12. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Don't be overcome by evil but overcome evil by good. Don't render evil for evil. Be patient. Don't render evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. For yourself, for the believers, for your brethren in Christ, and for all, for everybody, even for those who are not Christian. You need to pursue what's good with everybody. Because we are the children of God who is believed, he is, God does good with everybody. He shines, he lets his, his son to shine upon the righteous and the evil doers. So if we are the sons of the Father, then we have to pursue good with everybody. But if we start to render evil for evil, then we will be similar to them. But we need actually to repay evil by good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And this is a sign of being patient with one another. Verse uh, 16, St. Paul said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. These three verses actually are three commandments that we should do all the time. All the time. Rejoice always, all the time, you need to be happy. Pray without ceasing, all the time, pray. In everything, give thanks. Giving thanks is attitude more than words. So be grateful all the time. And there's actually a link between these three commandments. Rejoice, pray, in everything, giving thanks. In, in the Gospel of St. John, the Lord said, Ask and you shall receive, so that your joy will be full. So actually the Lord is saying, when you pray, and God actually will answer your prayer, this prayer will lead to what? To joy. Ask and you will receive, so your joy will be full. And when the person is joyful, what would he do? He will give thanks. So joy leads to thanksgiving. And when I give thanks, how I give thanks? I give thanks to God in prayer. So giving thanks leads to prayer. So I want you to imagine this cycle. Prayer leads to joy. Joy leads to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving leads to prayer. Prayer leads to joy, and so on. So what is the end result here? That the person will be rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and if in everything is giving thanks. These are actually the three commandments that we should do all the time. And St. Paul makes a comment here, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus 
for you. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to be peaceful. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. God wants us to be happy all the time. This spirit of grief and sorrow, it's not from God. But God, his children, actually, they are joyful even during the hardships. They are joyful even during suffering. As, as I'm sure you know, the letter to Philippians, St. Paul wrote it from the prison while he was in jail. But this letter actually is called the letter of joy. Because in this letter, in every chapter, the word joy was repeated more than one time. And in, in this letter, it said, Rejoice in the Lord always, am I say rejoice. How St. Paul was joyful in prison, because his joy does not depend on the uh, outside, uh, outer circumstances, but the joy comes from within, because it is the fruit of the Spirit. If your joy depends on the outer circumstances, then the other circumstances are changeable, then your joy will not be uh, always. But if this joy comes from the Holy Spirit, from God, God is unchangeable. That's why your joy will be continuous. This is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Verse uh, 19, it said, Do not quench the Spirit. In, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, St. Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love joy. If we quench the Spirit, then we will not bear the fruit of joy. So as if St. Paul is saying, do you want to be joyful all the time? Don't quench the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love joy. So when, actually, you can the Spirit of God in your heart, you will bear the fruit of joy. This is the word of God. What he meant by do not quench the spirit, do not resist the spirit, do not contradict uh, his influence in you. When the spirit of God rebuke you, convict you, instruct you to do something, respond to uh, the Holy Spirit. Resisting the spirit will disobey the word of God, because the word of God is written by the Holy Spirit. So when we disobey the word of God, that's quenching the Spirit. When we refuse to follow the exhortation of the uh, Holy Spirit, when we suppress our conscience, when the, 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 the Holy Spirit actually directs our conscience to rebuke us or to convict us, this is quenching the Spirit. Either when we obey the word of God, refuse to follow the exhortation or suppress uh, the conscience, uh, through which the Holy Spirit actually rebuke us. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the prophecy. The prophecies, St. Paul means uh, here, the inspired teaching. Because the prophecy, the word the prophet means a person who has a message from God to us. That's what prophecy means. So, the, do, not, uh, do not despise prophecies means do not despise the inspired teaching of the church. But, we should uh, distinguish between the true prophecies and the false prophecies. Because as there are true prophets which, who are true messengers from God, there are also false prophets that God did not send them, but they claim themselves as prophets. That's why St. Paul, after saying, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what's good. Test, examine. You have to distinguish and to differentiate and to determine whether this prophet is true prophet or false prophet. Whether this teaching is an inspired teaching or not. Whether this prophecy it came from God or not. We need to test all things and then hold fast only what's good. Then he said, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, as if St. Paul is saying that the, the false teachers and the false prophets are a form of evil. That's why you need to abstain from every form of evil. 
Don't say it doesn't matter. Uh, just they say the word of God. I know the difference between the different teaching of different denominations. Just I will listen to them, but I'm aware between the differences. St. Paul said no. Those abstain from every form of evil. The Christian should not only abstain from evil, but also from the resemblance of evil. Things that look like evil, although they are not evil, or lead to evil, although they are not evil. In Arabic, So that's the resemblance of evil. Not only what's evil, but what looks like evil. You need to be very, very careful, very careful. Because many evil will come to us in the clothes of the sheep. That's why we need to be uh, careful by testing them against the truth of the word of God and against the teaching of the Holy Church to distinguish between the wolf that's coming in sheep's clothing and between the true uh, shepherd. Uh, abstain from every form of evil. Uh, the resemblance of evil maybe is not even in itself what leads to evil. So if I abstain from this, actually I'm protecting myself from the evil itself. Then from verse 23 to 28, these are the concluding remarks of the whole letter. He starts by giving them a blessing, by saying, for prayer, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Why he called here God of peace? Because, as I told you, they suffered persecution. That's why they needed the peace of God. So he said that, uh, he, he's telling them, God is the king of peace. And he, because he's the king of peace, he is able to uh, give you his peace that surpasses all understanding. May God of peace himself, so uh, he will do this in you, sanctify you completely. Sanctify you completely means in every aspect, in every aspect. As if St. Paul is saying, uh, the, uh, to be sanctified in every aspect is prerequisite to have the peace of God. So God, when he sanctifies us completely in our hearts, in our soul, spirits, in our souls, then we will receive the peace of God. As we read in the Old Testament, no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. That's why if you want to have the peace of God, uh, you need to be sanctified. So may God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here just I want to bring to your attention that in the resurrection we will be whole human being, body, spirit, and soul. As St. Paul said here, may your whole spirit, soul, body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we will be glorified in the glorified nature, but we will be body, spirit, and soul. Body, spirit, and soul. May your whole spirit, body, and soul be preserved uh, uh, blameless. Uh, blameless means uh, free from any carnal or sensual or spiritual sins. Carnal, the sense of the but sensual, the sense of the soul. Spirit, uh, spiritual, the sense of the spirit. So when he said, preserve you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so and when the Lord examines us, we will be free from every carnal, sensual, and spiritual sin. How? Everybody commits sin. How we will be uh, blameless because we wash our sins in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have through the sacrament of confession and repentance and through the sacrament of communion. The purpose of these two sacraments is to wash ourselves 
from every carnal, from every sensual, from every spiritual sense, from the sense of the body, the spirit, and the soul. And in this way, when the Lord comes, he will see us um, blameless. As we read the book of Revelation, those who washed their garments in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 24, may he, uh, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Don't lose hope, because God will sanctify you. God will keep you blameless. Just surrender yourself to him. He called you, and he is faithful to do it for you. Just follow him. Submit to him. That's all what you need. Follow his steps. Submit to him. And as he called you, he is also faithful to do it for you and to preserve you limbless in body, spirit, and soul in his second come. So do not lose hope. Uh, from verse, actually, 25, uh, in these uh, four verses, 25, 26, 27, and 28, you will find, uh, like, liturgical tone. Uh, in each verse, you will find part from the divine liturgy. For example, brethren, pray for us. This is an intercessory prayer, the litanies. In the divine liturgy, we pray for our patriarch, we pray for the bishops, we pray for the clergy, for the priests, for the deacons, and here St. Paul is saying, pray for us. So, from where we, we got these intercessory prayers in the divine liturgy, from the teaching of uh, St. Paul. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Again, that's a divine liturgy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The Holy Kiss is a symbol of what? Of reconciliation. We are in peace with one another. And we cannot be in peace with God unless we are in peace with one another. So again, the, uh, greeting one another is uh, in the divine liturgy is the biblical teaching. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the Holy Brethren. That's a public reading of the uh, scripture. And actually, in every divine liturgy, liturgy, we read from the letter of St. Paul. Because St. Paul is telling us here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I charge you by the Lord that the epistle be read, uh, that the epistle be read to all the Holy Spirit. That is the public reading. About verse 25, the intercessory prayer, Verse 26, the case of peace. Verse 27, the public reading of the scripture. Then verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. That's the benediction. Uh, usually we conclude every divine liturgy by the benediction, love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion and the fellowship uh, of the Holy Spirit be with you. So actually, we can say in the last four verses, there is a liturgical, uh, a liturgical tone here uh, regarding the intercessory prayer, the public reading of the scripture, the case of peace, and benediction. Glory be to God forever and ever.